Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I am your host, Jessica Powell, and today on the podcast, we are discussing a topic that has been coming up more and more frequently in recent weeks and months. You see, COVID has presented us with many challenges, and as our collective stress level has been steadily rising, we have seen the pressure of the pandemic lead to a surfacing of issues that are now causing significant levels of division, both in our country, our communities, and sadly, even in our churches. Scott Sauls is the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, as well as the author of several books, including his most recent work, A Gentle Answer, in which he discusses how followers of Jesus can live and love like Christ in a defensive and divided era. In this episode, Dan Cody from our Church Management Solutions team sat down with Scott to talk about what this looks like for us as we engage our churches and communities in the midst of arguments and debates over everything from masks and vaccines to lockdowns and politics. So let's get to it. Here's Dan's conversation with Scott Sauls. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Propel podcast. My name is Dan Cody. I'm uh coming to you from our fellowship headquarters in beautiful sunny Fort Langley today and uh, we're very happy to have a special guest with us today all the way from Nashville. He's Pastor Scott Sauls. He's from uh, Christ Presbyterian Church there in Nashville. He's been there some time. Previously had been in various places, planted churches I understand in Kansas City and St. Louis is also uh, being in New York City for a long time. Scott's very active online at scottsalls.com and at scottsalls on social media, where you particularly will take note of his uh, blog postings. He's authored five books, another one on the way shortly, and um, we're here to talk about some of the content of his latest book, maybe get a sneak peek at what is coming out soon. So we just want to welcome you to our humble broadcast and say very much thank you for being here today, Scott. Thanks, Dan. It's a pleasure to be with you. So Kansas City, St. Louis, New York, how do you decide what baseball team to follow long term? Oh, Cardinals. Uh, hands down. Yeah. That's a good they choice. won my heart when I was in in seminary, uh, Covenant Theological Seminary, uh, in the uh, starting in the early '90s, and uh, yep, never, never bought a Yankees hat while in uh, while in New York. Uh, never bought a can, never bought a Royals hat while in Kansas City. So okay. uh, Cardinals are my my team. That's great. So Scott. Um, a lot of our listeners here in Western Canada, Vancouver area of BC, know of you and follow your uh, your teachings and your uh, uh, podcast, uh, not your podcast, but your blog posts and books you've written here. But uh, we want to take a minute to just allow you to impress us with your Canadian credentials. What can you tell us about your <laughs> Canadian experiences? I've been to Canada once. Um, I don't remember much about it. I don't even remember what part of Canada it was. It was when I was a, a child. And what I do remember was eating at a restaurant that had an indoor, a large indoor aquarium uh, and mermaids were swimming in, <laughs> in the aquarium. Okay. It's my only memory of being in Canada, but that would stick um, in your brain. We, yeah. we do have, 
uh, a couple of uh, you know good friends up in uh, Canada. One would be Anne and Daryl Voskamp, uh, and they live outside of the Kitchener area. And the other would be Carrie Newhoff, who's not right. uh, far away there, and uh, you know done this kind of you know communicating with them through podcasts and conferences and things of that sort. But outside of that, I have zero Canadian credentials. I noticed that several of people that you've authored uh, major articles with or done other projects with have studied here in Vancouver, particularly at Regent College. So maybe they okay. will persuade you <laughs> to come this way. If not, we'd be happy to host you here whenever you're available to come. Okay. You'll love Vancouver. Uh, you I mentioned Ann Voskamp and uh, mm -hmm. you've publicly stated when you list people that have been influential, that are influential voices in your life, uh, she's one of them. Um, if we were to ask you who's not on that list yet, but should be coming up, uh, maybe we'll see it on the next update. Who's, who's a new influential voice that's speaking into your life? Oh, goodness. Um, uh, I, I, I have many, but I, I think I will, uh, narrow it down to a uh, pastor whose name is Micah Edmondson, who actually just joined our team mm. uh, this past year. And uh, Micah is an African-American brother, and uh, he uh, uh, planted the fourth congregation of, of our church. Uh, it's called Christ Presbyterian Church Koinonia in uh, the Northwest region of metropolitan Nashville. And just learning a lot from Micah and his wife, Christina, uh, especially in the space of racial reconciliation, cross-cultural ministry, mercy and justice concerns. Uh, we feel like uh, our church is uh, growing significantly in our um, uh, awareness of, of you know, the issues, particularly in American culture that the gospel speaks to. And, uh, Micah has been a, just a wonderful uh, lead voice and influencer in our midst on that. So I, I, I think I'll say Micah Edmondson. That's great. Mm -hmm. Thank you for making us aware of him. And we look forward to seeing more from him or from you together talking about some of those subjects. Um, I just wanted to ask you, Scott, before we get into a little bit more of the content of your uh, books and your blog posts, etc., uh, you teach, you preach regularly, you share online uh, in a number of uh, key subject areas, but you have not, you have not been afraid to share with people uh, some things that are closer to home, particularly I'm talking about um, bouts of depression that you have been very candid about. And I'm wondering if you can tell me, um, has sharing those things being helpful to other people? Do you get that kind of feedback? Uh, yes, I've gotten uh, a lot of feedback uh, about, you know, that level of transparency. And uh, I think it's, it's important to say a couple of things. You know, number one, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he described his own model of ministry, he said, we, we did not only share with you uh, the message of Christ, but our very lives as well. And Paul, while never um, stepping out of his role as a leader and an influencer uh, for the kingdom of Christ, 
saw as part of, of his influence, uh, uh, being able to demonstrate his own weakness. He talks about his own struggle with coveting in Romans chapter 7. And then, of course, Romans 8 is his answer to his own struggle. Uh, no condemnation in Christ. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. Uh, he talks in First uh, uh, Timothy about himself as the chief of all sinners, as one who was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, and how his life in that regard becomes a demonstration of, of the mercy of God to all and how far the mercy of God reaches. You've got David in the 51st Psalm, which somewhere along the way he published, right? Which is his confession of the Bathsheba incident. You've got Jonah writing the book of Jonah, which does not portray the man Jonah in a very positive light. Yes. Uh, so you've got a lot of, uh, um, you know, key leaders. And of course, Paul talking about how it's through his weakness that the power of God is made manifest the most in 2 Corinthians 12 when he talks about his thorn in the flesh. And so uh, I think there's certainly a, 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 a case biblically for how impactful leading from a place of uh, combined weakness and hope in the gospel. Um, now, there's a difference between that and just being indulgent and um, telling our stories to draw attention to ourselves uh, instead of drawing attention to Christ, right? And so that's what we, we try to be very careful about when being transparent and vulnerable is, is to make sure that we're always doing it for the purpose of pointing people not to ourselves, but to, to Christ. And I think it brings great comfort. It certainly does to me to hear somebody that I respect and look up to as a leader, um, empathizing with the struggles that I have by sharing their own. Uh, and it helps, it helps me to feel more hopeful about what God can do in my life. Uh, when I hear somebody I respect greatly talk about how they struggle in the same way and how God has helped them work through those things as well. And so I, I hope that's the effect of my ministry as well. And I've had, I've had feedback to that yeah. effect, of course, over the years. Yeah. And I want to, I want to thank you for that, that great answer. That's, uh, that's really helpful. And, uh, encourage any of our listeners if that's a part of their experience to maybe uh find um and and take a look at your story because um there is a lot to be discovered there thank you um you um do not i believe you do not have or share a podcast of your own but you do still do a pretty major about weekly blog post would that be accurate mm -hmm. and uh, yes i do and that that's that's correct that's a deliberate choice i guess i mean i've heard you on many podcasts you're obviously willing to be a guest and uh, we appreciate you sharing in that way but there's something about that blog post i think that you find to be the right avenue to uh supplement what's in your books what's what you're posting about in other ways and uh, and uh, cataloging it for those that are following and, and is that a choice is that a very strategic uh, choice for you in terms of how you communicate uh it is i actually do have a podcast but it's it's only of my sermons uh and that's uh you know the christ presbyterian church nashville sermon podcast i'm on just about weekly uh for that uh and then my other content delivery um mechanism as you said 
a is uh, is my blog, and I I I put up a new post uh, every Friday and send it out to my entire uh, email subscriber list every Wednesday, and uh, so it lands in people's inboxes as well. But uh, yeah, that blog can be uh, perused and also subscribe to at scottsalls.com, which is my website. You can find sermons and other and books and other things there as well. Yeah, yes. Appreciate that. And so speaking of books, you're writing your sixth book, I understand. And I'm not sure you've shared much about it. If not, if you have, I haven't seen much. Is there anything you can tell us about what's in the works, when it will be coming out? Um, we're interested. Sure. Uh, thank you for that. I, it's actually, I'm, I'm about to uh, wrap it up, uh, the original manuscript that is. So I've got one more chapter to go before I turn it into the publisher. And then we go through the editing season and then getting ready for publication. And so it's, it probably will not release for another year. So coming up on the beginning of next summer, uh, probably May, June of next year is when it will likely be released. But uh, uh, it's a book that's built around uh, um, Christ's answer to weariness, especially the weariness that we experience because of guilt, uh, hurt, and uh, anxiety or fear of, of the future. And so it's kind of covers those three big rocks, rocks of human struggle and how Christ speaks into to guilt, hurt, and fear. Right, right. So I hope it'll be helpful to all kinds of people uh, uh, and might even be helpful as a resource for those who do pastoral and counseling work as well. Yes, yeah, we look forward to that. I would just remark, Scott, I, I think what I see in your books is a focus on Christ and an attempt to be very true to what we see him uh, saying and doing, how he's interacting with people in the Gospels, the very human interaction side of Jesus Christ and uh, uh, that your uh, diligent study or of the uh, nuances and the subtleties that we sometimes find in those in those examples and then and attempting in your books to communicate that we do a better job as Christians in making sure that uh, you know we have allowed him to do that work in our lives in a sense before we open our mouths or before we get too passionate about some of the current subjects that uh, are bound to reel us in in the society around us. Is that the approach that you take? Uh, I see it sort of coming up over and over again. Uh, I think so. Uh, I think so. I mean, my, my, main, my main point in the whole, you know, writing a communicating space uh, just, is just very simply to try to figure out a way to get out of the way and introduce people to who Christ is and how Christ speaks into the nuances and complexities and struggles and opportunities that, that exist in their lives. And so I, I hope that I hope that I can be effective in some way uh, in that regard with anybody who's exposed to my work. Your thank you. Your latest book, A Gentle Answer, um, hmm. is uh, 
has proven to be very timely, um, mostly or more so in the United States in regards to recent or, you know, uh, fairly recent political climate, mm-hmm. as well as the onset of COVID-19 and the vaccination debate and other things. Um, mm-hmm. And do you find that people are appreciating what's in the book and um, being a little bit more deliberate with your encouragement to, to be a gentler voice, uh, to take a, a softer or to in other words, to allow Christ to do his work of gentleness in us. Uh, well, that's certainly my hope. And, you know, I wrote, I wrote the book long before uh, COVID happened uh, or 2020 happened. Uh, and so I didn't have any idea that the book would be as timely as it was. Uh, all I was anticipating when I wrote the book was that there's going to be a it's going to be a presidential election year. And in 2016, um, Christians didn't behave themselves very well, uh, by and large, around politics. And I was hoping to put something out there that could help move the needle in the other direction, uh, where we could enter those conversations in a more life-giving, um, kind-hearted way, uh, you know, even with strong convictions. Uh, you know, I think one of our strong convictions is that we should be kind in the way that we share our strong convictions, right? Um, there's a posture. There's not just, there's not only a message, but also a posture that Christ calls us towards. So, you know, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It's a moral imperative. Uh, uh, and, and so I uh, wanted to contribute that to the political conversation, not realizing uh, how, um, <laughs> how, how, incredibly uh, inflammatory the political conversation would end up being uh, starting in 2020 and contributing to or, or continuing to the present time. But but turns out that the book has become, a, uh, at least what people say, a, a, a very helpful resource to them and their ministries, uh, their entire church communities and campus ministries uh, that, that are using the book as a resource. So um, I've had my fair share of staff mentoring sessions and coaching sessions with with staff teams, typically of larger churches or uh, institutions of higher learning, uh, uh, you know, who are looking to reach their students with this message. And so the timing was really good. uh, And yet I'm, I'm not too terribly happy or excited for all the reasons why the timing is good. I, I actually wish that we had a more peace, peaceful world, but right. um, lo and behold, we don't. And so I'm, I'm glad to be able to be part of the conversation. Yes, yes. Uh, how did you, how's the book structured? There's two sections to the book, um, mm-hmm. but the premise is we have to see what Christ um, is um, doing in the Gospels and in our lives today before before we enter into some of these debates and take positions on things or we don't have to, I suppose, but it would certainly benefit those around us. Yeah, well, we can only give away what we've already received from Christ ourselves. And, and, um, and so the book is organized in that way 
where the first three chapters specifically uh, have to do with how Christ demonstrates uh, the fruit of gentleness toward us uh, in the way that he treats us, in the way that he responds to our resistance, in the way that he responds to our self-righteousness, to our self-protection, to our cynicism. Uh, he responds with great tenderness and great patience, which um, I believe is, and, and scripture seems to teach, is, is really our, our only uh, sustainable, our, our, our only legitimate resource for sustainable kindness. And, and you know, we can do a one-off moment of, of, you know, being nice to somebody, but sustainable kindness, which is a, an ongoing fruit of the Spirit in our lives, requires that we abide in the gentleness of Christ. Um, you know, in the same way that Christ said, abide in the vine and I will abide in you. And, and so uh, the next five chapters after that are, are about how it works out, you know, in our lives, in our conversations, in our hearts. Sustainable kindness. Appreciate that uh, two-word phrase. I think that's one that's going to stick in our minds and uh, one that we appreciate so much when we see in other people that that have impacted us. And uh, as, as with many of those traits, those fruits of the Spirit, they don't automatically sustain. So appreciate what, what you've done there in outlining it that way. One reviewer has described... Uh, this, the book, the subtitle of your book, The Secret Weapon Part, uh, with the following sentence, says, maybe gentleness is the Christian's secret weapon to not just diffuse tension and anger, but also to demonstrate the truthfulness and beauty of the gospel to our culture. I really like that. You know, we're, this our goal is not just to win a debate. It's not just to be in, uh, you know, some of these hot topic discussions that are all around us. We have a broader goal, a bigger goal. And uh, I like what that reviewer has said. Can you comment on that? A broader, bigger goal. Um, you know, from my perspective, it's to abide in Christ, first and foremost, the goal of the goal of being a Christian is not uh, to produce certain outcomes. Uh, outcomes are a byproduct. And the byproduct will be that the gentleness of Christ is demonstrated to the world, to our neighbors, to our cities, in our places of worship, uh, places where we live, work, and play will be demonstrated um, you know, through the gentleness of Christ through us uh, as we encounter his gentleness toward us. And so I, you know, I, I, I think ultimately the, the Christian's goal is always going to be faithfulness to the Lord first and foremost. And, and our hope in, in, in that goal is that, you know, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, our light will shine before men so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Uh, so even the fruit of the Spirit, it's not about us. It's not ultimately about the kinds of people that we are becoming as much as it is about uh, how our lives point attention to Christ himself, who's the hope of the world. I appreciate that. One of the things I've discovered in ministry that I'd like to have you share a thought or two about is how we influence people. 
people in our own family, our own children, those that are our close friends, but then in broader and broader circles. One of the phrases you use, uh, I've seen it in a number of places, is encouraging Christians to critique gently and encourage fiercely. We sometimes get that backwards or partly backwards. Uh, to influence people, we've got to be concerned about them. We've got to express encouragement and be careful with our critiques. Can you illustrate how that sentences come to be part of your uh what you teach people or share with people sure i just i think that everybody you know will probably resonate with the thought that um human beings metabolize and internalize criticism uh and we tend to deflect praise uh and you know mariah carey the famous musician actually you know, summarized it quite accurately when she said that she can hear a thousand criticisms, or I'm sorry, a thousand praises and one criticism, and that one criticism will, in her heart, overrule the thousand praises. And so we just got to be very careful. Um, you know, we, we have to be gentle in the way that we tend to other human hearts. Now, there's a difference between how we, you know, speak to somebody who's defeated, downtrodden, carrying a lot of shame and guilt, and the way that we talk to a bully, right? Uh, you know, Jesus tended to be pretty fierce with, with bullies. He was ag aggressive with his prophetic message toward bullies. He was aggressive with his grace and love uh, toward those who were downtrodden and guilt-ridden and shame-ridden. And so, I think it, it's just important for us to be able to discern what kind of situation we're in um, to determine how we speak into it. Appreciate that. Thank you. In terms of what's going on in our world right now, vaccination is an example of something that Christians are either for or against, or they have a variety of opinions. One pastor commented recently here and said, if the people in my church had the same sort of passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ as they do to enter yeah. into that debate. Mm -hmm. the, the gospel would be spreading and we wouldn't be uh, as uh, bogged down on some of these subjects. How do you deal with that as a pastor week in, week out, encouraging people to, not to get out of balance in those passionate uh, topics? Well, you know, we have, we have a very cooperative church uh you know along those lines and they've they've been you know, on the one hand we've got a very diligent uh faithful team who has done all the research with scientists and and asked all the questions about what it means to be good neighbors uh to those who are you know in government uh who are advising churches uh, along the way and so we've been led very well in terms of the decisions that, that we've made in terms of how to do the masking and the distancing and everything else. But we've also had a very cooperative and trusting congregation. And uh, interestingly, in the midst of that, we, we've got a very politically diverse con congregation that also probably is filled with a lot of personal opinions that are different from one another around masks and things like that. But 
I think what the last year has revealed is that our congregation uh, has, has been, you know, in this space, very good about keeping the major things, the major things and the minor things, the minor things and, and love your neighbor and, uh, and, and being pro-life in terms of protecting yourself and others from a disease that is taking a lot of lives, disproportionate number of lives is, is not something to mess around with. And, um, and so, so people have, have been all in on that. And even, even people who've had COVID uh, in our context have still been very happy to put on masks if only to help the person next to them feel at ease, um, you know, who might not be aware that they've got antibodies in their bodies. And that, that includes people who've been vaccinated as well. Now we are gradually, um, you know, lifting uh, our encouragements uh, about masks and distancing gradually bit by bit while still keeping several spaces dedicated to masking and distancing for immunocompromised people and those who haven't been able to get a vaccine because of disabilities or special needs or autoimmune diseases or whatever. Uh, so we're trying to care for everyone. Uh, and thankfully it's been a, a year where, where our church has been very cooperative and worked together. But, um, you know, I think, I think the, the, I think it's revealed a lot, the, the fact that there's been a lot of bickering and church fights and church splits over these sorts of things. Um, it, you know, it turns out, and, and I think this, this last year has exposed, I think what a lot of us have, have already known, and that is for a lot of people who identify, uh, as Christians in America, um, their true religion is their politics. Uh, and, and, and the reason I say that is whenever, uh, uh, you know, certain people's politics are disrupted by straight up, uh, preaching the text from scripture <laughs> and, and they get upset uh, because it, it disrupts, uh, you know, political presuppositions. Uh, you know, it turns out is that, that, that a lot of people, their real, real religion is their politics and they're looking to Christianity to support their politics rather than looking for their politics to be, uh, you know, a, 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 an outflow of their Christianity. Um, and I think one, one really good litmus test for people to, to apply to that question with regard to themselves, to ourselves, is can I find anything good to say about the other side of, of the aisle? And can I find anything bad, bad to say about my own party? Uh, I'm of the opinion that um, you know, a true sign that you're following Jesus instead of a party uh, is that if you're a Republican, you, you are one of the loudest voices that there are about racial injustice and the, the, the terrible plight of immigrants and refugees. Whatever your politics are, uh, as a Christian, those things need to be solved, and the church needs to be, do something about that, whether the government does or not. And if you are a Christian who identifies as a Democrat, you, you should be among the loudest voices on behalf of and in defense of the un born. Uh, and, and to you as a Christian, it, it, should, it should be a, a source of deep, deep grief that the political party that you're part of uh, uh, endorses and sanctions and even in some respects encourages mass genocide uh, in the womb. And I, I speak very directly uh, because um, I want to disrupt people uh, who make an idol out of politics. 
uh, who, uh, who will speak out of one side of their mouths. Well, you know, the Lord says that, um, you know, the immigrants and the refugees and the minorities uh, deserve special attention and special tending to. And sometimes, um, you, you know, it, even, you know, repair and, 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 you know, the language of reparations is even being used now uh, in, in, in certain circles. Uh, but you say nothing about the plight of the unborn. Whereas you've got Christians on the other side of the political aisle who are, who are passionately talking about how the, the unborn need to be protected. But as soon as they're born, you don't hear any more advocacy uh, for the poor or for uh, the unemployed or for, you know, other vulnerable people groups. And so what I'm trying to encourage Christians to be is more comprehensive in their life ethic, because Jesus didn't pick sides on these things. Jesus was both and, uh, you know, uh, in both condemning the injustices on the left and the right, and, and also in a, affirming uh, and championing the, the justice and the goodness and the truth and beauty that can be found uh, on the left and the right. And so I just want Christians to appear to be more Christian than they, they appear to be partisan. And, but, but I do think that that's the biggest idol and the biggest toxin, uh, the most pervasive toxin in the American church is partisan politics. So got a lot to say on that. I've written a lot about it too, uh, but, but realize that's a pretty long answer. A lot of those thoughts come all the way back to your first book, which we have valued very highly since it came mm. out in 2015, I believe. Yep. The first chapter I ever wrote. <laughs> yeah. And appreciate them. And, you know, just to encourage you by saying that, you know, although we have more political parties nationally in Canada than you do in the United States, that having more aisles does not solve the problem. Uh, we still have people on... <laughs> every side of every aisle and, and, and in the church as well. So very timely. Thank you. Uh, Scott, I want to let you go with one final question. Early in the pandemic, you tweeted this statement. I'm hopeful because history tells us that when crisis happens, especially of pandemic proportions, spiritual curiosity and interest and yearning also grows. Has that been your observation now that we're over a year in? And what have you observed that shows this is accurate? I have observed uh, two dynamics to that question. One is that, that I have observed that uh, there's a certain group of uh, people whose maybe spiritual apathy or nominalism has been revealed uh, in, in that it, the pandemic has become a, a very easy way to back out of spiritual life and engagement altogether. And I, I think that's a nationwide, I'm not speaking specifically necessarily to my own community as much as I am a nationwide statistical reality, that there is a certain group of people, roughly 25 to 30% of former churchgoers who are no longer churchgoers and, and have, you know, perhaps, you know, it's been revealed, uh, uh, in the past year, uh, a level of spiritual disinterest that, that has made it very easy to kind of depart from spiritual life. On the other hand, I've seen uh, a lot of people doubling down on their, uh, their commitment to spiritual life and, and engagement in spiritual community and uh, wanting to know God better. And you know, one, of the, one of the just tangible signs of that in our own church is that our people are singing louder. It's been this remarkable thing that, 
that our church sings twice as loud as it did before the pandemic. And, and um, you know, we're still, we're, we, we still don't have all of our people back. We're, we're not entirely back. I think we, we got maybe 70% of the attendance that we had before COVID happened. And yet the room is twice as loud when we sing. Wow. And, and the, that's great. Giving the, we had our best giving year that we've ever had last year. And so, so I think there are, there are kind of tangible signs, at least in our world, that people have leaned, you know, the, the committed have leaned in more deeply, whereas the less committed have leaned out, uh, you know, maybe a, a little bit more. Uh, and so there's kind of a both and there. That's a great answer and appreciate that. You're a little bit ahead of us in terms of the reality of church opening up and mm. we're we're getting closer. It's exciting to hear you report those things because uh, we really are looking forward to congregating indoors and singing and uh, giving and praising the Lord together. Pastor Scott, we want to thank you very much for your writings, uh, what you share online, uh, in your blog, uh, in your preaching, and uh, I want to encourage our listeners to make uh, use of your books and your materials. And we want to send you away with our gratitude and thank you and look forward to doing this again. And if you're ever in Vancouver, we look <laughs> forward to meeting you personally. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To hear more from Scott, check out the links in our show notes to get to his blog and his other work. And remember that our team here at the Fellowship Pacific Ministry Center is here to serve you. To find out more about the resources we have available and to connect with us, visit our website at www.fedpacific.ca.